I don't know about you guys, but when I got back from revival, I had a little bit of a reality check. It was like, all right, we're going back to normal life. <laughs> this is what normal life is like. I don't know if you guys had this experience. You walked maybe off the buses or you walked outside and you're like, oh yeah, it's not typically 115 degrees outside. I was expecting it to be really hot out. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you, it's like, oh wow, yeah, I, I can't just wear a bathing suit 24-7 in normal life. That's like not how it works. Just jump from the pool to the lake to the boat, back to the lake to the pool, and then afterwards we'll do some games and then back into the pool. And then it's like 24-7. It was like, okay, back to normal life. Can't do that. And it felt weird for me walking around and not hearing like team chants all the time, like hippopotamus. Right, yeah. I was like... Man, I just had a little glimpse of like not normal life right there. I was like, yeah. It's like so used to like not hearing all those those chants. I was like, man, all right, this is this is what normal life is like. Um, I, also, part of normal life going back is like getting more than five hours of sleep. It was like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> this is what normal life is like. And I know because I've experienced this before. How you get back from revival and you have all these reality checks going back into normal life, and sometimes it can be a little bit of a downer. It's like oh, that was such a fun week, like, oh, man, like, right now, we'd be getting ready, it'd be going to free time right now, 12 o'clock, you'd be having boat runs here in 30 minutes, like, be like, whoa, that'd be so awesome, and now, going back into normal life, it's like, okay, I need to forget that whole week, because that was just a fun week experience, but here we go, back into normal life, well, while there are some things that don't necessarily translate into the rest of life, like you're not going to be going on boats every day for the rest of your life. It's not part of normal life. You're not going to wake up and it's like, all right, quick, we're going out to Hunger Games. Like, let's go. Like, get your weapons. Like, here we go. Or D-Day, we're going to storm off the beach. Or like, you're going to be fighting against other people for inner tubes. It's like, that's not a part of normal life. And you kind of have to compartmentalize and say, all right, we're going to leave that at revival and get back into the flow of things. But guess what? There are some things about revival that you would be doing damage to yourself if you said, I'm just going to leave that at revival. I'm going to move back into normal life, and I'm going to forget about what happened at this week. You would be causing harm to yourself if all the spiritual aspects of revival, the sermons that we listen to, the verse is that you memorized, the small groups that you had, if all those things, you just say, okay, that was cool at revival, I'm moving on past that, you'd be causing harm to yourself. God does not want you to forget those things that we learned at Revival. So in order to keep Revival going, have it be an ongoing effect, we're going to do a little bit of a recap of what we heard at Revival. So if you were there, this is just going to be a, a primer, a reminder of what we talked about. If you weren't there, hopefully this catches you up to speed about the things that we talked about. And of course, our main passage that you memorize is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. So let's Look back at Ephesians 2. I know many of you, most of you memorized it. So as we're reading it, you'll probably be even reciting it in your mind again. Let's think about and keep revival going by pondering all that was taught at revival. The things that we learned. The gospel message that we didn't know before. The depths of what Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is talking about. And even if you weren't there, hopefully this can be helpful for you to understand what Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is all about. About. So it applies to whether you were there or whether you weren't there. Let's look at Ephesians 2, starting in verses 1 to 3. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Saying, hey, guess what? Every person who is alive, every human being, when they are born, they are dead. 
they are not right with God, but rather there's a separation between them and God. Why? It's because of the word our trespasses and sins. Trespasses, the things that we do that God says, I do not want you to do. The things that we don't do that God says, I want you to do. Because of our trespasses and our sins and our disobedience to God, we are dead, separated from God. That's what we heard a lot in the baptism tank this morning. People recognizing, hey, I had to come to the point where I realized I am not right with God. Verse 2, this was in which you once walked. People before they were right with God, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We talked about verse 2, and Pastor Mike preached about how the prince of the power of the air, how that's Satan at work in this world, deceiving people to think that their trespasses and sins are far superior than following Christ, that they are okay just continuing on in doing the wickedness that they are doing. And so much of this world and so many of us in this room are doing that. We're dead, following our own wickedness. Verse 3, as it says, living out the passions of our flesh. The desires of the body and the mind. Those things that we're like, okay, yeah, I just do whatever I want to do. No, who cares what God says in his word? If I want to do it, guess what? I do it. It's characteristic of someone who is dead. Someone who's not right with God. Someone who disobeying God. And the consequences, it says in the end of verse 3, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All of us in this room, when we are born we are separated from God because of our sin. And because of our sin, the consequence of it is eternal punishment. E eternity away from God, away from the goodness of God, away from the blessings of God. Only present with God's wrath, his judgment. And one of the main points of the first sermon that Pastor Mike preached on these first three verses, which a lot of you guys came to realize, is point number one, that we need to admit that you're not okay with God. Admit you're not okay with God. We can mask our own hearts and our own lives and say, yeah, things are, things are good between me and God. There's not a problem between me and God. Yeah, we're cool. When if we look at our own lives and we see what's going on inside, we see the wickedness. We see our sinfulness. And we need to come to the point of realization that we're actually not okay with God. Our sin separates us, alienates us from God. And what we rather deserve is God's punishment. This is something that is true of all mankind. Someone, whether it's you in this room, someone across the country, someone who speaks a different language, we all have this problem. I mean, we heard testimony this morning. Someone speaking Spanish. I mean, if you live in Europe, if you live in Asia, don't even speak our same language. Guess what? What is true of all humanity? We are born sinful and not okay with God. It's a problem. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's perfect standard, guess what? We cannot measure up to it. And as Romans 6.23 says, The wages of our sin is death. Death. Not just dying physically, although that is a consequence of our sin, but spiritual death, which is separation from God in hell forever. And praise the Lord that a lot of you guys came to the point of admitting that there is a problem, admitting that you are not okay with God. 
But there are still some of you who might think that you're okay with God and need the reminder that, hey, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, you are still not okay with God. You're still not right with God. That's what the first sermon was all about. Don't try to mask and pretend that you're okay with God if you are not. If you're living in your sin, the passions of our flesh, as it says, the desires of the body, the mind, going after fun that this world offers, uh, the pleasures that this world has to offer. I mean, we heard that in the, the testimonies, that before people were Christians, they were just doing whatever felt good, whatever they wanted to do, engaged in all sorts of activities that was disobeying God. It's a problem. The first step in order to going to the solution is admitting that you have a problem. It's like imagine your car breaks down. You've got a car, it breaks down. You won't be able to go and fix the car or go to someone who can fix the car unless you come to the realization, hey, my car is broken down. You will only be able to say, okay, this car needs fixing once you first establish it's broken. There's something wrong here. There needs to be something done in order to fix it because it's messed up. So too with us. We need to come to the point that we're not okay with God. Our sin separates us. And that's what the first sermon by Pastor Mike was all about. And a lot of us in that first sermon in small groups maybe come to the realization that I'm not okay with God. The second sermon came from verses 4 to 7. Let's look at verses 4 to 7. Thank the Lord that even when we were in our sin, God did something. Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That even though we were dead in our sins, God did something. God, because of his mercy, because of his love, some terms that Pastor Mike defined, he talked about God's grace, which grace is God's undeserved kindness from God. I hope you wrote that down before. If not, write that down. Grace is God's undeserved kindness from God. But also because of his mercy, says that in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, mercy is God not giving us the bad that we deserve. So, our sins deserve punishment in hell, but God's mercy is not sending us to hell like we deserve. But rather, because of the great love with which he loved us. Love, God sacrificing to give us what we need. God making a way for us not to go to hell, but rather be able to be right with God. His great love, what did he do? He took action. He sent Christ, made us alive together with Christ. Because God stepped in and took action. He said, there is a problem with mankind. They are dead in their sins. But guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to send the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, to provide the solution. If you remember that second sermon, Pastor Mike brought up a couple verses in Isaiah. And how in Isaiah, it talks about how God, seeing that there's a problem, he reached out his hand to provide the solution. It wasn't us trying to reach up to God. It was God reaching down to us to save us. I was out evangelizing uh, yesterday with our evangelism team, and I stumbled across um, uh, this lady who said that, yeah, I think all religions are true in the end because we're all just trying to reach our way up to God. 
what she realized is that we can't reach our way up to God. Because of our sin, we're separated. And no other religion is the way to be saved. And even with Christianity, it's not us trying to reach our way up to God. No, it's God stepping in, sending Jesus to provide the solution. We need to remember point number two. It's God that does the saving. Remember, God does the saving. It's not us cleaning ourselves up. It's not us saying, okay, if I do these three things, then I'm saved. If I read my Bible enough, if I pray a little bit more, if I listen to the sermons better, that's not what does the saving. It's God that does the saving. God who provides the solution. Rather, in God's eyes, we're disgusting. We're wicked. We're sinful. It's like Pastor Mike gave the analogy of this guy and this girl sitting on a bench. And, you know, this, there was this pretty looking girl and it was like, oh, the guy is saying like, oh, I love you. It's like, oh, she's so pretty. She's attractive. And it's like, oh, yeah, she's sitting there. It's like, oh, yeah, I love you. Like, yeah, she looks lovable. Yeah, I really, I really love her. But then he put on this picture of this ugly person. Sorry, uh, no offense to the person that he put up there. But it was making the point like, hey, this person doesn't look very lovable. It's like, is the guy sitting there going to be like, oh, man, I love this, love this, this lady. It's like, oh, no, probably not. Doesn't look the most lovable. Well, guess what? That unlovable person is us. God is not obligated to show us love. Rather, on the contrary, to, to God, because of our sin, we should be unlovable. But rather, he cares about us, and he did something to provide a solution. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. It talks about what God did to provide the solution. Romans 5, God took action. We were running away from him. We were despising him, ignoring him. But he says, hey, I still love you, so I'm going to do something. Romans 5, look down at verse 6, a passage that Pastor Mike talked about at Revival says this, for while we were still weak, weak, not only saying physically, but still doing our own thing away from God in our own sins, while we were still doing that, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, it illustrates it with an analogy. It says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. It's like, okay, maybe if it's a really good person, maybe I'd die for them. But verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Picture, you're walking across the street with your friend. Your friend goes first, and it's your best friend. You really care about this, this friend. They're walking across the street, and as they're walking, a car is coming and they don't see the car, and the car is about to hit them. Maybe if you were a good friend, and you really cared about that person, you'd say, oh man, hey, watch out. And maybe if they just ignored you, and you really cared about your friend, you might jump in the way and push out your friend to save them. Say, hey, I care about this person so much, I don't want them to get hit by the car. I'm going to put my life on the line for this person, push them out of the way. Now imagine if that person walking across the street isn't your friend. It's actually a criminal who's been in prison their entire life. Because what they did was they came and they robbed your family, took everything from you, robbed your family. They harmed 
your, your parents. Imagine that criminal killed one of your parents or killed a family member. I know, it's like, whoa, getting intense right now. This criminal was put to, put to prison for the rest of their life because they attacked, they harmed your family, took things away from you. Now, if you saw them walking across the street and a car coming, you probably wouldn't have the same reaction as you did with your best friend. You might say, yeah, it's, it's what they deserve to get smacked by that car. You might be like, yeah, I mean, they did harm to my family. They killed one of my family members. Yeah, it's what they deserve to get smacked by that car. Yeah, I hope it takes them out. Well, guess what? In that analogy, we're the criminal. We're the one who has wronged God. Our sins, although it doesn't seem, it's like it seems like we sin against other people, but ultimately all sins are an affront to God. And it's us spitting in the face of God when we do things that he doesn't want. And even though we are like that criminal doing things that are displeasing, God showed love for us like that person, like us, stepping in the way of that criminal about to get hit with the car. God was the one who provided the solution. He sent Christ to take on, to get smacked by the car, to do the weight of our sins on the cross for us, make a way for us. Christ died on the cross, the punishment that we deserve not only staying dead, but rising again three days later. Why did he need to rise from the dead? Well, Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death, so that we can have confidence that if we trust in Jesus, we too will rise from the dead. We will not stay dead in the grave after the end of our lives, but we will bodily rise again. Jesus bodily rose again. So too, we will have physical, real bodies in heaven if we trust in Jesus. Talks about our revival, how the right response is what Ephesians 2.10 goes on to talk about. Ephesians 2, verse 8. says this is how, once we know the gospel, once we understand the gospel, verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved. Grace, God's undeserved kindness. Through faith, trusting in Jesus. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's like apart from God, you can't even trust in him. It's a gift. Verse 9, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Saying we can't boast and say, hey, look at me, look how good I am, I got myself into heaven. No one can say that, because guess what? Those who try to work their way into heaven, guess what? They're not in heaven. If you try to work your way into heaven for the rest of your life, when you die, you will not be in heaven, because it's not a result of our works. Solely by repenting and trusting in Jesus. Point number three we need to understand repentance and faith. That's the proper response to the gospel. Point number three, understand repentance and faith. You need to understand those terms. Praise the Lord that some of you this week understood the gospel for the first time. You understood that you are a sinner. And not just, yeah, that I'm sins. You, you recognize your own sin. Yeah, I am disobedient to my parents. Yeah, I am prideful. Yeah, I do get angry. Yeah, I'm anxious all the time. And that sin separates me from God. And I understand what Jesus did, that he paid for my sins. That's the, the gospel, the good news. A lot of you understood that and praise the Lord for, for that. Some of you guys understood repentance and faith. And other of you guys are still trying to understand what does it mean to repent? What does it mean to actually trust in Jesus? Repentance is saying, all my sins 
that I have been committing, I'm done with it. I'm done. I'm giving them up. Repentance isn't saying, okay, yeah, I'm just going to work a little harder today to do better. Yeah, I'm going to try harder tomorrow to read, to read the Bible. No, it's saying those sinful things that I was doing, I'm done doing it, giving them up to God. And rather, I'm going to obey God. That resolve, that turn is what repentance is. Faith is trust. It's relying on Jesus. It's saying, Jesus was the one who paid for my sins on the cross. I'm trusting that Jesus' payment on the cross is enough to cover my sins. We talk about trust. What do we trust in Jesus for? We trust that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient to cover my sins. That's what we're trusting in him for. It's like the person in the water, and he gave the analogy of getting in a boat accident, you're drowning in the water. It's you reaching out to someone on the lifeboat and saying, save me. God, I'm trusting you to not let me drown. My complete dependence is on you. Pull me out. Save me. That's the picture of us trusting in Jesus. Oh, no, I'm not going to try to, to swim to shore. I'm not going to try to swim my way onto life. No, because we can't. It's not our effort. It's saying, Jesus is the only way for me to be saved. That's what we're trusting in. Some of you guys understood that. Some of you this, this week, for the first time, repented and trusted in Jesus. But there are still some of you who have not done that. And if you haven't, you need to not forget what Pastor Mike talked about, but you need to ponder what true and genuine repentance looks like. You need to think about what it means for you to trust Jesus. There's been a lot of people that I've heard, a lot of you guys who have said, man, I mean, I, how do I know it's going to work? How do I know that, I mean, my life is going to change? By you saying, I'm not sure if this is going to work, you're saying that your sinfulness is greater than Jesus' ability to give you a new heart and change your life. You're saying that your own wickedness is superior to Jesus' ability to save you. That's absurd. That's ridiculous. If you're saying, oh man, I'm not sure, how do I know it's going to work? That makes clear to me that you don't understand what it means to trust Jesus. Trusting is saying, no, Jesus already did pay for my sins. I'm not trying to earn his favor. I'm not trying to, trying to please him in a sense of make myself closer to God this next day by doing good things. No, it's saying, Jesus, what you already did on the cross is enough for me. I trust your payment covered my sins. I trust that you're going to give me a new heart. You're going to give me these new desires. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I'm done with this old life, and I'm pursuing Christ. For those of you who say, well, how do I know it's going to be for the rest of my life? How do I know that I'm not going to stop at the end? Once again, you're saying that Jesus is not strong enough to hold you to the end. It's a lack of trust. It's not understanding what it means to trust and have your faith in Jesus. Because guess what? The Bible talks about how those who are in God's hand, those who are right with God, those who repent and put their faith in Jesus, they will never be shaken. Like someone in God's hand cannot be shaken. And I know like if we're doing a, the analogy of a person reaching down to someone and pulling them out of the water, it's like, yeah, a person's hand can slip. It's like I was on the, 
the water park with some of you guys and trying to pull some of you out of the water. It's like, okay, my, my, my strength isn't perfect. Like, yeah, there's going to be times maybe when I pull you out and my hand slips. It's like, oh, I do let you go. Well, guess what? If God's got a hold of us, if we're trusting in him, guess what? His hand never slips. He never says, oh, oh, oh sorry, I wasn't strong enough. No, we trust in him for the rest of our lives. We will have a new direction. Our hearts will be changed, transformed because of what Jesus has done for us. Some of you have not repented and put your faith in Jesus. You're relieved that your past revival, because you don't have to listen to Pastor Mike's sermons anymore, that we're convicting you. And maybe you've been pondering your own sins, and you're like the person in Psalm 32 who says that, like, my bones have been wasting away because your sins are, are bearing on you, and you've been thinking about it. Guess what? Today is the day of salvation. Talk to your leader. There's not some special thing about revival where now that we're back from revival, guess what? I guess God's done saving junior hires until winter camp. Like, okay. Or next revival, I guess we're done. It's like, no. Does God save people at revival? Yes, but guess what? God is just as able to save people today as he was two days ago. As he was three days ago. And those of you who have not trusted in Jesus, he wants you to trust him today. Today. If this message is bearing on your heart, if the sermons have been convicting you and you kept trying to suppress them, if you're squirming in your seat when you heard those baptisms because you more associate with the people what they talk about what their life was like before they were Christians rather than after, don't push it off. Talk to your small group leader. Talk to Jose. Talk to Kaylee. Talk to Lucas. Talk to Kevin. Talk to Noah. Talk to your leader. Talk to me. Today is the day of salvation. Don't push it off because tomorrow is not guaranteed. But for those of you who did respond rightly, praise the Lord, some of you did repent and trust in Jesus. Some of you before revival repented and trusted in Jesus. Well, now you need to put into practice what verse 10 was all about. Pastor Mike's last sermon says this, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saying talking specifically to those who are right with God. Yeah, you don't do these works to become right with God, but once you are a Christian, God is listed and has aligned things for you to do, these good works that you are now called to walk in. Not out of a trying to earn God's favor, but out of a, Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. Praise you for what you've done for me. You do do what point number four is, which is do good works from a penitent heart. Do good works from a penitent heart. Pastor Mike made clear the difference between merit-based salvation, which is doing good works to be saved, and salvation as a gift from God. Merit-based salvation is doing good things, and guess what? You can look back and say, oh, look how great I was. You can boast because you're like, I, I did better things than other people, and that earned me favor with God. Well, guess what? There is no such thing as merit-based salvation because it is nothing for us to boast about. Verse 
9 says that, so that no one may boast. We have no boasting grounds before God because we're wicked. We don't earn God's favor. But rather, it's a gift from God, so our response should be, thank you, Jesus. It should be worship. It should be obedience. And we should do the good works that God has prepared beforehand from a penitent heart. Uh, penitent, repent. Same idea. From a heart that recognizes, man, I am wicked. Now, God, thank you for saving me. Now, I just want to do what you want me to do. Changes our lives. Gives us that new direction. Pastor Mike, in this sermon, talked through Ephesians 4, verses 25, all the way to chapter 5, verse 4. Did you guys, do you guys bring your notes with you from revival? Do you guys have it with you? The, the handout that you did? If so, pull it out and look at all those things that he listed. If you didn't bring them today, that's okay. Bring them on Wednesday because we're going to talk more about that. If you didn't come to revival, that's great. The sermons are posted online. I encourage you to listen to, listen to them, especially the last one because we're going to dive into that one at small groups. Ephesians 4 listed all these things that if you are right with God, you repented and trusted in Jesus. Now you're saying, I now want to do what God wants me to do. Ephesians 4 listed all these things. Pastor Mike said, no lying, no angry sins, doing honest work, pleasing God, no outbursts. I'm jumping around, no lo- beloving, nothing impure, no greediness, no bad language, no crude joking, being thankful. All these things that now we do out of a thankfulness to God, out of a Jesus, thank you. You do the good works which God prepared beforehand. He said, there are people in this room who the good work that God might be calling you to is to be a missionary. Might be calling you someday to be a pastor. Might be calling you to be a church admin. Might be calling you to be a firefighter. Might be calling you to be a, a, a medic. Whatever place that God is calling you to, he wants you to be an ambassador for him in those avenues. A missionary sharing the gospel with other people. A firefighter using that job, the coworkers sharing the gospel with them. Someone who works at a hospital using the people that they're help, helping, saying, hey, I'm also not only going to help you physically, but here, let me share you the good news that will help you spiritually be made right with God. Using our lives as a platform for him. Point number four applies only to those who are right with God. Because if you're not right with God, if you're still dead and not alive, it's like trying to staple fruit onto a dead tree. What good is that? Oh, yeah, let's take this banana, staple it onto this, this dead plant. What good is that? It's pointless. Rather, we can talk about doing good works from a pen's and art once we've responded rightly. If you haven't, talk to a leader today. And if you have, do good works from a penitent heart. Revival is only beginning. I know it's over, but all those things that we talked about, the things for you to ponder about, the things that your small group leader at the one-on-ones that you had said, hey, I want you to think more about this and let's talk some more. Think about them. The things that convicted you, keep considering them. If you don't understand the gospel yet, work to understand it. If you don't understand repentance and faith, talk to a leader to understand it better. If you haven't responded rightly, respond rightly. If you have, if you're a Christian, now eat up God's word. Be all about it. Do your flip grids. 
understand what scripture now wants you to do as God redirects your life away from sinfulness and towards Christ-likeness. Let's pray. Yes, God, we ask that we would keep revival going by thinking about all that was taught, that even though many of us can quote and say Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 perfectly, help us not to lose that. Help us to consider the depths of that passage, the situations for when we can apply those verses. Help us to consider the good news of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. Help us to not push off repentance, but do so today. And God, pray specifically for the new Christians in this room, that they would learn from their leaders of what it looks like to now live a Christian life, not trying to earn your favor, not trying to say, look at how great I am, but out of a thank you, Jesus. Help revival to keep going. Help even the small groups that we have on Wednesday to be convicting and to be impactful in our lives. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.